morning, everyone. Do you mind going ahead and turning your Bibles to the book of Psalms, in Psalm 131? And as you're turning there, I really do want to uh, thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to, uh, to be here with you this morning, and uh, also to express my, uh, my thanks and my gratitude to you for uh, how uh, welcoming and hospitable you have been to myself, you have been to my wife and to our daughters as well. Uh, it, has, it has been very, uh, very touching seeing how, how affectionate you all have been, I've, and we've just been very privileged to be able to, uh, to get to know you. And again, in your heart toward us as well is something that we have, we have noticed, and uh, we're just very grateful for, uh, for the privilege that it's been this, this weekend and your welcoming attitude toward us. I was like, Todd Boone, we made the, the trek up here from right outside of Orlando, Florida, and uh, it's been beautiful. So we've really enjoyed our, our time here this weekend, and so again, I just want to express my thanks to you. Uh, if you haven't already, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Psalm 131, and would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? A Song of Ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Lord, we pray that as we enter into this time, Lord, we are sitting under the authority of your word. We pray that we would have hearts softened and ready to hear you. We would have ears to hear. And Lord, we pray that that you would be glorified in this time spent in your word, that we might come away changed because of the work which you desire to accomplish within our hearts and within our lives. So, Lord, we pray that your glory would be made manifest. I pray that you would uh, set me aside, Lord, that you would receive all praise and glory. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. Well, years ago... When I was in high school, I attended an, a week-long overnight uh, football camp at Virginia Tech University, and it was during the summer. And I say all that because when it came time for evening in the dormitories, all of us high school you know, football players in this, at this major university in the dorms, you maybe would expect there to be all this rowdy behavior, loud music blaring from all these kids getting to spend time on a college campus. But the reality was, it was so hot, and we were so tired when it came time to evening. It was completely silent at night. The only sound you could maybe hear was the sound of some lineman far off, far off snoring in the distance. It's the only sound going on when it came time to lights out. But one particular night, it was so quiet. Suddenly, there was this loud noise reverberating throughout the entire hallway. Lights started flashing in the rooms and in the hallways. It wasn't an alien abduction. 
what it was, was a fire alarm had gone off during the middle of the night. And as we awoke and arose in this state of confusion, not being able to really even figure out at first what was happening, we stumbled our ways into the hallway and peering around, and I guess we got to get out of here. We finally made our way down the hall and and left to go outside at about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. It was amazing how there could be a such a calm setting, just so quiet. And then just in the blink of an eye, it's, it's disruption, it's chaos, just in a moment. Have you ever felt that that kind of situation, that kind of disruption was descriptive even of your own heart, and of your own soul? Or maybe you had a good grip on your circumstances. Things seemed to be going well, but then chaos, noise, and disruption just filled your heart. With bills you couldn't pay, obligations you couldn't meet, conflict you didn't expect, busyness you couldn't get on top of. What causes you to worry, to lose composure, to become discontent? What our text shows us is that ultimately it's really not even outer noise which prevents us from having a quieted soul, but an inner noise of discontentment and pride. It's for good reason that multiple commentators have referred to Psalm 131 as one of the most beautiful psalms of the Psalter. And through this powerful use of imagery of this weaned child and the mother, I think we can see why. And in particular, what we'll notice is that because it is the Lord who calms our soul, that we can then confidently hope in him. When communicating this central point, the psalmist first directs our attention to that which is in conflict with the calmed heart, namely arrogance and pride. Look there again, our text at verse 1. I'm reading from the the ESV as well. Verse 1. Is a song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. What we see is that because it is the Lord who calms our soul, let us then cast aside pride. David is here describing how he can have a calm and quiet heart that the expelling and evicting of arrogance then invites the blessing of peace. And we would do well to listen to the words of David because as you might remember, David is described as a man after God's own heart. And we can trace through the life of David and we can see this, especially in his earlier years, this heart of humility. He was the the youngest in his family. He was ridiculed by his brothers. He was thought of so little that when Samuel had come to visit, he was a mere afterthought still out there with the sheep while Samuel was there visiting the rest of Jesse's household. Even after he was anointed as king, he did not take the throne out of violence, even though he was anointed, but he patiently endured the trials of waiting and waiting. David showed kindness to those who mocked him and was gracious to those who were his enemies. And so inspired by the Spirit of God, David 
invites us, he speaks to us as, as one who knows humility, one who knows dependence, one who knows meekness. And he describes the soil for the calm and quiet soul as one which casts out pride. And in particular, that is the heart that is lifted up and the eyes which are raised too high. These are really the, the vehicles we could describe them, or the channels of pride, the, the heart and the eyes. In Proverbs 21.4, it says that haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. When you think about pride, I know when I think about pride, I often kind of insulate that sin. By that I mean where pride is just all about me. And where we think things like, I deserve that. You know, I am superior. I should be recognized. I need to control that. And in a sense, that's a, a helpful understanding of what pride is. But rarely is pride only about me. It's not just about the, the heart that is lifted up, but the eyes that are raised too high. It's about having an object of the eye, something or someone that is beheld. The haughty eyes not only say, I'm rightly deserving of this, but they often say, I'm rightly deserving of this compared to you. I believe that that's what the psalmist is really drawing on as the fundamental dynamic of pride which is utterly opposed to the quieted soul. The life of pride is a life of comparison. The life of pride is the one which is wrongfully judgmental toward others. The life of pride is the life of belittling others, of envy, of complaining. Yes, pride ultimately has an inward focus, but through haughty eyes, pride is constantly gazing outward, waiting to judge, waiting to compare, waiting to lift itself up. I just ask you, does this kind of noise resonate within you at all? The life of comparison, the life of judgmentalism, the life of pride. I think it's really clear why pride cannot coexist with a quieted soul. They're simply incompatible. You know, darkness can't coexist with light. Oil doesn't coexist with water. It's, it's like expecting to see some tall oak tree emerge out of the middle of the Sahara Desert or out of the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. It's just simply that the soil and the, and the fruit and the product just aren't compatible. What opportunity is there for quietness and calmness when there is a, a restless disorientation, like a fire alarm going off at 2 a.m. in the middle of a dorm building? Pride produces a noisy and restless soul. But the psalmist doesn't merely tell us what is to be cast out for a calm soul, but describes to us our confidence for quietness. Namely, that because it is the Lord who calms our soul, then let us be, excuse me, let our confidence be in the Lord. Look there, verse 2. It says, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Even the, the construction of the verse here, when he says, But I have, uh, that 
those words are often translated as truly I have, or if you're using the King James, verily I have. And it's the construction oftentimes used to introduce a vow that's being made by someone. But I have. It's a statement of confidence, like a vow being given. But I want us to, I think a helpful and needful clarification with all this, especially with a topic like this, is considering what a calm soul is or isn't. I think we can have a lot of baggage that we might think of what calmness, especially with the Lord, really means. And I want to quote to you a description from David Pallinson, a, a Reformed writer and counselor. And he says this, he says, having a calm soul and a calm heart, it's not about having an easygoing personality or having low expectations so that you're easy to please. It's not a retreat from the troubles of life and the commotion of other people. It's not retirement to a life of ease and wealth, the quiet of having nothing to do and no worries. It's not the pleasant fatigue that follows a hard day's work or a hard workout. It's not the quieting inner noise that a glass of wine or a daily dose of Prozac produces. I think it's a helpful, to use a basketball analogy, it's a helpful box out of what it's not that we're describing. So we can really think about what having a calm soul really is. So a calm and quieted soul is not one which is absent from life. It's not one which is absent from work and even absent from struggles. Again, consider who's writing this psalm, David. David was constantly in the midst of commotion and of trouble with the Philistines, with Saul, with the Amalekites. The calmed and quieted soul comes in the midst of actions, in the midst of relationships and problems. There can be noise all around, but you can still have quietness within. Consider this metaphor that he uses here of dependence on God of a mother and a weaned child like a weaned child with its mother like a weaned child is my soul within me the weaned child when we think of this it, it's naturally contrasted with the nursing child and with the nursing child and the mother in that relationship the, the mother is the the giver of sustenance, the giver of, of milk, of food for the child. The nursing child's relationship with the mother is centered on what is given, what is provided. And the child responds, as we all have, have heard perhaps way too often, those cries for what the child wants, those cries and longings for the milk. But the weaned child, the weaned child's relationship with the mother is different. The weaned child is given the freedom from the nagging of self-seeking. For the weaned child to be with another, it's not about the milk, because that's not the relationship. For the weaned child, just the mother is enough. The mother is sufficient. The weaned child knows the love of the mother, that the mother feeds and the mother provides, but when with the mother, the mother is all that they need. 
This is something which David himself even experienced. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, it describes a situation where David has been on the run from Saul and his army. And David is with his, his band of men, and they are camping out in Ziklag. It's, it's David and the men and their wives and their children and, and all of, of their stuff that they have with them. They're camped in Ziklag, but David is still out fighting against Israel's enemies. And he goes out to fight the Philistines, even when Saul wouldn't. David is out fighting against the enemies, and they leave their camp behind, where it's just David and the men out there. And as they are fighting, the Amalekites come into their camp, raid their camp. They take away the wives. They take away their children. They take away all of their stuff. And that's what David and his men find there at Ziklag when they return from fighting. And in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 30, David sees all of this. It says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Added on to all this, with all the grief that David is already experiencing, his men then speak of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Then it says this, But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. You can't imagine everything being taken from you, every relationship that you can imagine, every, every good gift that God has given has been taken away from you, and all that David has is the Lord. All David has is God. And the noise of suffering and the, the clamor of, of discontentment of all the sounds that wrestle in our soul of comparison, the disruption of pride, it is the Lord who gives strength. It is the Lord who sustains it is the Lord who quiets our souls. And not only was this a reality for David, but for the greater son of David as well. How easily we can hear this prayer upon the lips and the heart of our Savior. Might as well read a song of ascents of Jesus. As Christ endured the noise of living in a fallen world, of ministering among those who not only rejected him, but sought to end his life. Christ's own disciples and friends were slow-witted and immature and bickered among themselves. Yet how he could still say, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. The life of Christ shows us that we can find our sufficiency not in the things of the world and even in the good gifts that God has given to us, but in the Lord himself. When Christ was troubled, he clung to the promises of God. When he was exhausted from the trials of this life, he immersed himself in the presence of his Father. When his human desires seemed to oppose the purposes of God, he yielded to God's wisdom 
and will being done. We even often proclaim the doctrinal truth that God is self-sufficient. It's a great truth that we can, uh, we can find great encouragement in that God is fully self-sufficient, in that we can neither add to God, we cannot take anything away from him for who he is. But the question I would have us consider, even though we know that God is self-sufficient, are you God-sufficient? Is God sufficient for your contentment? Is God sufficient for your peace? Is the presence of the mother is sufficient for the weaned child? Is the mere presence of the Lord sufficient for your soul to be calmed? Or do we persist in crying out for something else? Crying for milk. Crying for the nourishment that we think that we need. Crying for more. Crying for more security crying for more possessions, crying for more recognition, crying for more health, crying for more than God. Yet in Deuteronomy chapter 1, the Lord graciously tells us that just like in the wilderness, you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. What a great truth of grace and mercy from our God. That even when we wrestle with all of this noise, that we have a God who will not give up, as we even just sang of the reckless love of God. We have a God who persists, is relentless, and accomplishes that which he sets out to do even in us. The psalmist points out the enemy of the calmed soul, that we must cast aside pride. He also points out that our confidence must be in him. But thirdly, he points out who he is speaking to. We see that because it is the Lord who calms our soul, let the community hope in the Lord together. Look there at verse 3. It says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Did you notice the, the shift in voice that happened there where the psalmist was beginning to, you know, speaking of himself. Then he shifts in talking to the community, O oh, Israel. And in so doing, the, even the, what was said in verses 1 and 2 becomes the, the unified voice then of the covenant community. Expressing humble submission as a family to the will of their heavenly father. In Psalm 131 it falls within a collection of psalms called the Songs of Ascents. There, as it was uh, titled there at the beginning, Psalm uh, 120 through Psalm 134 together make up what are called the, the Songs of Ascent. And these were, were psalms that were collected together to be the, the songs that would be sung and proclaimed by the Israelites as they would make their one of their three annual treks and journeys back up to Jerusalem for one of the major festivals, one of the major feasts. And so these were like pilgrim psalms, or what these really were, as they were traveling on their way to Jerusalem. They were there to encourage God's people to make pilgrimage there. Jerusalem, this place for them of, of safety, this place of God's special presence, a place where God 
dispenses his blessings upon his people as they would celebrate the works which the Lord had done as they worship together in community. And as the people of God declare Psalm 131 in unified voice, they are reminded then of the sufficiency of the Lord and the calmness that is theirs in him together. Is this not even as a church what we are called to do? That as the church gathers together and confesses what we believe, sings out the praises of our God and proclaim the gospel of our Lord in word and in sacrament, that we receive God's blessings as we gather together with his people. But we are also called to hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. We hope in the Lord because like a weaned child, we have one who takes the terror out of having needs. We hope in the Lord because we have no need for a heart that is lifted up or eyes that are raised too high. We hope in the Lord because of his gracious provision of himself to us. Scripture reveals a a myriad of reasons for which the people of God are to hope in the Lord. Like I said, with the, the songs of ascent, they were collected together so that they might be even looked at together. And so Psalm 131 is very short and packed and and condensed, filled with richness, yet kind of short on explanation. But as Israel would sing these songs, they would sing Psalm, go figure, 130, right before they would sing Psalm 131. Makes sense. But look at Psalm 130, the very end. Verse 7 says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. That's why we hope in the Lord. Ultimately, we can hope in the Lord because he loves us and has redeemed us, which is revealed to us in the work of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Hope in the Lord not because we have rid ourselves of pride, but because of Christ's payment for our iniquities. We hope in the Lord not because of of what we bring to the table as weaned children, but because with the Lord there is steadfast love. I don't know what kind of noise you may have in your heart and in your soul this morning. It might be banging around in there, and it it might very well sound like a fire alarm that is going off at 2 a.m. in the middle of a dorm building. It might very well sound like a Boeing 747 going on right in the middle of your chest sometimes. But that has to be exhausting and tiring. Well, I might not know all that's going on within your heart and within your soul. I do know a Savior who does. And he says to you this morning, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for 
your word as it gives us direction and truth, and it is where we find you, the one in whom we can have calmness of heart. Lord, we pray that you would enable us to retain your truth and that you might give us the grace to follow after it. In Christ's name we pray.